0: grateful as you know we've been going through the book of 1st Samuel to um, continue to navigate and walk through what Samuel has been teaching us. Last week we looked at the reality that God is in control and my prayer is that we found quite a bit of peace in knowing that inevitably in all the things that happen in our lives um, the good and the bad, the hills and the valleys, the straight path, the crooked path that God is sovereign over them all. And that gives us peace because there's nowhere in our lives that we can go that we are without his control. And so as we looked at that last week, we looked at how God worked out his sovereign plan in the life of Saul, which would eventually lead to Saul becoming the king of Israel. And so this week it will be similar in a sense, but what I hope that it offers this week is, last week was the broad God is in control, but I hope this week is a bit of a a more personal touch. And so sometimes when we understand that God is in control, then we think that that really only means, oh, God is in control of the world, but he's not in control, nor does he care about me personally. But that's just not the case. Now, we don't think that God cares about our lives, but he does. So it's important for us to know that no matter where we go, no matter where we are, as long as we are obedient to the Lord, then he is with us. And that is what our text is going to show us today. And that's why our title of our sermon today is God is with you. God is with you. And if we know him, then he's with us. Look with me, if you will, to First Samuel chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. It says, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelda. And they will say to you, the donkeys that, that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and his angels about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from their father and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men are going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibbeth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tamarind, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you, and you shall know and and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Before it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? We had finished prophesying. When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you go before us, God. But not only that you go before us, but you are with us. God, you transcend time so you can both be ahead of us and with us at the same time. God, help us know that as long as we are obedient to you, you will be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so I need to go ahead and set the scene here, set a little bit of the backdrop to what's happening here. And so it requires us to back up just a little bit um, to the end of 1 Samuel 9. So in 1 Samuel 9, 21, it says this. Saul answered after having been told that he would rule over Israel. He says, am I not a Benjaminite? from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? Saul's initial thoughts of himself concerning any acknowledgement or appointment on the part of Samuel is unheard of. He says, I don't know why you think I am somehow worthy to be in some position Of leadership over Israel he says in fact not only am I undeserving but Samuel I'm from the smallest tribe and even though we know as we learned last week that Saul was well off he says but by comparison I'm not as well off as some of the other people of all the small tribes my clan is the smallest in other words he says I may look physically the part to be king but I am unqualified to do anything that you're thinking about, Samuel. See, for those of us who may know what is going to end up happening with Saul, we may have a hard time thinking that he would ever think of himself in such humble terms. But see, that is why his appointment happens in the time that it did. He felt underqualified. And you know what? He's right. He is underqualified. Now, not only is he underqualified, he's just flat out unqualified. Saul was unqualified to lead the Israelites. After all, these are not his people. These are God's people. They were not Saul's people. How could anyone be qualified to lead God's people? Well, nobody was, including Saul. And that's our first point in today's sermon god calls unqualified people god calls unqualified people listen i'm not just taking a portion of scripture here as a proof text to say you know this is what god does but no this is the trend of the bible all throughout the bible we learn that god calls people who are unqualified to be called God uses people in positions and to do his will who simply are not qualified to do his will. Whether that be Noah who built the ark but loved the sauce. Whether it is Abraham who had faith but still lied to protect himself from harm. Moses who would lead God's people out of captivity but who could never quite get a hold of his anger. How could God purpose in his heart to use all of these unqualified people to carry out his will in the world? Because there are no qualified men or women who can carry out God's will. It's not you. It's not me. Because between us and God, there is this chasm. There is this barrier that prevents us from fully knowing God, and that is because of his holiness and our sin. And as long as man has sin, then we are in no way, shape, form, or fashion qualified for his service unless he qualifies us. The only way that we can be qualified for God's service is that he must qualify us. Does God qualify Saul here for his service? Yes, he does. Look at what God does through Samuel. The Bible says that he anointed him. Now, this is one of those super preachery words that we use a lot. Oh, so-and-so is real anointed when he preaches, or so-and-so is anointed when they sing, but we don't really ever know what that means other than they're a good preacher or they're a good singer. We often don't know anything about what their lives really look like and my friends, that's really what it means to be anointed by God. But it says here that he anoints him. What does it mean that Samuel has anointed Saul? Whenever we see this happening, this is symbolic that God was consecrating someone for a specific purpose and a specific time. In other words, To anoint someone means that you are separating someone. You are setting someone aside for a specific job. At home, I have these three black plastic bowls. And everybody in my house knows the rule of those bowls. Don't touch them. Don't eat out of them. Don't clean them. I don't even want you to look at my bowls the wrong way. Those are my bowls. I won't eat out of your bowls. Don't eat out of mine. That's the rule. I have set them aside. I have consecrated them for my use. And I use those bowls as I please. In the same way, God called Saul to work. And that he had has set him, aside, set him aside for a specific service. That means if God calls any of you, then he qualifies you. Yes, if you are in this room and you have a job, you are not there because you are qualified for that job. I don't care what your education level is. I don't care what your experience level is. If you have a job, you are not there because you called you there. You are there because God called you there. If you are a husband or a wife or a friend, you certainly are not qualified, but God qualified you for his service. He makes you worthy of the call where you were unworthy. And he doesn't just do this with one person, by the way. Yes, God calls us and sets us aside individually, but he also does it with groups of people. Remember what he says regarding Israel. It is very similar to what he said to Saul and what Saul believes of his own tribe. God tells the Israelites that even though they they were the fewest among the people, that he chose them and that he set his heart and his love on them. In other words, he had set Israel aside for his service. God has an M.O. What is it? I am God and I will not use the best or the most of you, but I use the least of you. I use the most unqualified and insignificant people to show that it is not because of man's wisdom or strength, but that God qualifies the unqualified. It is a reminder for us that even the nature of our salvation is the product of our unworthiness. We are not qualified to be saved. We are not worth the price of the cause, but the same way that God qualified an unqualified man in Saul, it's the same way he qualifies us for salvation. Remember the word from a few weeks ago about the man on the cross next to Jesus. How unqualified that man was to be saved. There was a man who was the CEO of a large corporation. And he had a managerial position open that everybody was vying for. Now they had all submitted their resumes, and every one of them had multiple degrees. Every one of them had multiple years of experiences, and they had numerous references to boot. Every single person that applied for that job was probably overly qualified for the job. But he wasn't interested in them. So he thought to himself, all of these guys are going to come in here and they will think they know how to run this company. They think they will know how it works. They think they will know and they're going to come in and try to be self-sufficient. He says, I need someone who has been here long enough to know me, to know how I work, but who will be humble enough to learn knowing that they can't do this on their own merit." Then in walks his humble maintenance man who faithfully served for 20 years. And he knew he had his man. God doesn't call us to be independent of him, to serve him on our own merit. He calls us knowing that we are unqualified so that we will depend on him to do anything. So the first thing is that God calls unqualified people. The second point is that God instructs his people. God instructs those unqualified people. Listen to what is told by Samuel to Saul here. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelda. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and his angels about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hands. After that, you shall come to give to Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, lyre before them prophesying. Notice how God here is instructing Saul step by step, every step of the way. This is what's going to happen. And this is what you're going to do. He says even that there will be a sign that confirms that you are my anointed. But it's going to involve your obedience as well. There is some duality happening here with God. The sign that you are actually sent of me will be connected to your obedience to what I say. All throughout the Bible, the key to anyone's walk with God was their obedience going back when Abraham failed to trust God and lied about Sarah it marred his standing with God if God is with you then why are these terrible things happening because God was with him but in that moment he was not with God God was with Moses when he instructed him to do what he was supposed to do with the commandments and how to get water out of the rock. But he wasn't with God when he did just the opposite. Everyone can believe that they have been called by God. Everyone thinks that they're anointed by God to do this thing or to do that thing. But what it boils down to is, does it produce obedience in you to God's instructions? Because in reality, it doesn't matter how well you preach. It doesn't matter how well you sing, how well you play. Is if when you step down from these places, if your life is not devoted to God, you ain't anointed. You might just be gifted. But you know what the Bible warns us about gifts? They are without what? They are without repentance. Which means God just dishes gifts out to us because we were created in his image and with his qualities. But to be anointed means that your life's submission is to the obedience to the will and the word of God. There are people who can out sing other folks. There are people who can out preach other folks. But there's something about when somebody gets up to do something before the Lord and you can see that their life has been submitted to God's obedience. So, you say you are a Christian chosen by God. Well, where is the obedience to Him? You say you're called to preach. Well, show me the obedience. There were always these hang ups about whether or not Jesus was truly sent by God. But you know what He says in John is the confirmation? In John 530, this is what Jesus says He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The Son of God here even says that he came to do the will of God the Father. The confirmation that Jesus was sent of his Father was always that he was obedient to the will of the Father. When his mother and his brothers came in to get him out of the room because they thought he had lost his mind, he tells his disciples, those who do the will of my father, that's my mother. That's my brother. We are no more like Jesus than when we submit ourselves and our lives humbly to the will of God with an obedient heart. We all say we want to be used by God, but I don't think we realize that means you're going to be used by God. But God in his grace doesn't just use us, but he equips us. And that's our third and final point for today. He equips his people. God equips his people. Look at what the text tells us here. When he turned his back, Saul, to leave Samuel... God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Look at this. God made a man who was unqualified, qualified by giving him a new heart. We talk about having a problem when we see God hardening the heart of Pharaoh in scripture. But what about seeing him give someone a new heart for his servant? What about seeing God pour out his spirit on someone to make sure, even if for just a period of time, that they would do his will and serve his people? This is, again, the theme of the Bible. God is using and calling people that he knows would have to depend on him in order to be effective at what they do. Just the other night, I was talking with a friend of mine from seminary who lives in North Carolina. And we, have, we actually used to talk once a month. We would do these big discipleship things, and he started having children and was moving around, and we just kind of fell off a little bit. And so he texted me the other day, and he said, hey, we need to get together. And I was like, sure, it's been a few months. And we looked. It had been two years. So few months two years COVID is all the same when I was talking to him I asked him as we were getting ready to leave he had been a chaplain and he had taught third grade and he was now working in working in higher education and I asked him I said are you still interested in pastoring is that something you still want to do and he then began to ruminate about all these reasons why he was unqualified he said, I can't pass out. We, we have another baby. He said, we live in an apartment. I don't know if we're going to make enough money. It'll be too much stress. My wife is changing jobs. He said, and I just don't feel like I'm adequate. He said, every time I think about it, I feel like I'm just un- inadequate to do anything for God. He said, I can't, I can't plan a church. I can't pastor people. And after he got off his soapbox, I said, Andre, I said, you sound like the perfect pastor. Of course we are unequipped. Of course we are unqualified. But that is why God gives us what we need in order to serve him. We are not born interested in the lives of others. We are not born compassionate beings. We are not born with this great capacity for grace and love and mercy. Not the love and mercy that we need for his service. But when he saves us, he gives us new hearts. When he saves us, he gives us a new capacity to love him and serve his people. Whatever you have been called to do in life. This is my advice to you. Don't lean on your own abilities. God has not called you or placed you to lean on your own abilities. He has not called you or placed you because you are capable and qualified. He has called you because when you root your life in him, he is with you. Press into God. And I'm telling you, He will give you what you need. But the caveat is this. You must be in his will. God is with you. But you also must be with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you for the reminder that not only have you called us, not only are you in control God, but we're actually grateful that we're unqualified for your service. God, we're actually grateful that we weren't worth saving because salvation wouldn't be ours if we were. God, we're grateful that you equip us and that you instruct us for your service. God, please don't let us be deceived into thinking that we have what it takes in order to serve you. We don't. God, we need to be completely and utterly dependent on you. God, every one of us has been called to something. God, whether that is a call to a specific job, a call to a specific neighborhood, a specific person, singleness, a child, in every area, God, you have called us to something. And we are unqualified. I don't care what the call is. We do not have the qualification for the call. But you qualify us. And so God, we ask that you equip us, that you give us what we need, but that it will birth in us in obedience to your word and will. That we will root and dedicate ourselves and our lives to you. And that if we know that the nature of our salvation is that we are unworthy, that we will understand that about the nature of our service as well. God, if there's anybody here in person, if there's anybody watching who came to the realization today that they are unqualified to be saved, God, I pray they know that you and you alone makes a Christian a Christian. God, only you can save. And I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know that the means of salvation come through Christ and Christ alone, that this is the day that you reveal the truth to them, that they owe an enormous debt and that there's nothing that they can do in their life to pay it. There's no sacrifice that can be made on their behalf by themselves, but that you have given us the ultimate sacrifice that takes away our sins. God, I pray that anybody here who doesn't know you will come into the knowledge of the truth today. It is in my prayer. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.